Welcome to Shaking Tables, a podcast curated and produced by the Global Shapers Community Kampala Hub. Shaking Tables is a series of in-depth conversations between Kampala Hub members and carefully selected guests. Our intent is to create relevant dialogue that drives action and change in our communities. Internally, we've debated about the sort of Uganda we want to see and what it could potentially look like. But how do we make it a reality? We'd like to invite you along on this mission to inspire, to challenge, and in the long run, shake some tables. As young people, we believe it's our responsibility to be a part of conversations being had and start the ones that aren't. Hello, listeners. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Global Shapers Kampala Hub Shaking Tables podcast. Today, with me, your host, Abraham Banadawa, the founder of Utilist Ventures, we have Joel Muhumuza from Jumo, who's been working in digital finance for eight years plus. Joel, how are you? Um, so thanks for having me. Um, I'm happy to be here. I was just saying earlier that uh, my parents, for instance, still don't understand what I do. So I just said digital finance. So I think it's easy for everyone. Yes. Yeah. Well, um, finance and financial literacy are what we hear talk about today. And it is uh, the challenge in Uganda mm. that most people don't understand finance in the broad sense and financial literacy in the focus sets. So I can totally relate when you say your parents just needed, you know, a, a, large, a large noun <laughs> that they can say. Yeah. That's yeah. what he does, you yeah. know. But could you tell our users what digital finance means to you? Okay. Uh, digital finance really is just, um, I think, the biggest example that we have now is mobile money. So it's just the electronic version of financial services. Um, and then, you know, I sort of started my career at Ministry of Finance. Then I uh, went to do my master's degree. At the time I was doing my master's degree, um, mobile money had become sort of a big thing in Uganda. And so when I came back to Uganda from, from doing my master's degree, um, I started, you know, sort of figuring out what the business models are, what digitization really means. So it's really just a fancy way of saying going from paper to to digital, but it's almost um, the same financial services. The only difference is that now that the medium is more digital, it's more electronic, it opens up some options that, you know, the physical constraints of cash uh, might not have. So, you know, that's what I'm doing currently at Jumo, um, trying to figure out how to leverage the medium of electronic um, technology to make financial services something that everyone can access. Okay. Yeah. Uh, kudos to you. We definitely need uh, greater access to financial services. But I think if we could maybe backpedal a bit, financial literacy as a construct, what does that mean? You know, academically, they say this is, this is knowledge someone needs to be able to benefit mm. from the financial services available to them. Mm. So, uh, you know, it starts with awareness and then the ability to use that opportunity that these services pr provide to transact, save, and essentially better themselves. Mm. 
What financial services do you think are key in Uganda that people need to know about? One, I think uh, prior to working at Jumo, I started at um, FSD, Financial Sector Deepening. And there were a lot of sort of philosophical discussions around what financial inclusion meant and financial literacy. Now, I'm more of the opinion that the phrasing sort of, um, it obscures more than it opens up. So, for instance, um, if someone is using a SACO or if someone's using a VSLA, a village savings group, they have a form of financial literacy that someone who might be in the city might not fully understand just because the constraints that they have um, mean that they're doing something informally. But they're more aware of, okay, this is where my money is coming from. When I borrow from the bank, a lot of people still think that you're actually borrowing from the deposits that sit in the bank, but you might find that there's a lack of financial literacy from people who appear more literate, who can use the certain phrasing. So um, sort of to go back to your point around the financial services we need to be aware of, I think it depends really on what your goal is. If your goal is to raise a small amount of capital, it's important for you to know the options that are available to you in terms of getting capital, both formal and informal uh, some of them are domiciled in Uganda. Some of them might be options outside of Uganda. Uh, some of them are more traditional. Others are like Jumo, for instance, being a loan <laughs> that you can take out on your phone. Um, that's something that um, I think when we first spoke to our regulator, Umra, they were a little surprised that you know we don't have to see the person that's borrowing from us, <laughs> that we don't have to meet them, that the information we're using is already collected by um, the telco. So I would say to your question, there are broadly, of course, the credit services, the insurance services, but there are also investment services that um, I think people need to know about. But the important thing is just to know what is it that you want to achieve. Um, the, the, my old boss at FSD used to say that he had outgrown the idea of just giving people financial literacy because it has to be attached to a goal. Otherwise, you know, I also studied chemistry. Somewhere in my head, the, the information is there, but I didn't have any place to apply it. I didn't have a goal with it. So I know moles, I know uh, what a chemical reaction is, but it's not real tangible knowledge. It's not something that um, I can actually apply. So it's, I think, the, the kind of financial services that people need to know about right now, I think, are really how to get access to affordable credit, how to insure your business or yourself, and you know how to save and invest. Okay, that's quite insightful. I and others, especially in the hub and uh, in the industry, have reached out to young people to try and get them on task and on track with financial literacy. And we're talking about, you know, the basics. Do you know how to budget? Do you know how much mm. money you're making versus how much money you're spending? Mm. Do you know what savings is? You know, everyone has a savings account that operates as a current account. And <laughs> yeah. No one seems to have savings and, you know, people were floating during, you know, the lockdowns. Mm. So one of the issues that tends to come up is why don't we learn about financial literacy almost the way we learn about everything else? It's in, in other countries, it seems to be a background thing. Mm. Everyone takes it for granted. Is it because they don't teach it in schools? Is it because we have an unhealthy culture of not talking about money in the home? How soon and where should people start talking about money in a practical sense? Let's live alone, you know, the, the, the nightlife of, ah, oh, man, this deal has come in. I've netted 200K USD. I'm going to buy an impenconi. Forget that. Like, 
real conversations about real money? How soon should we start having them? And where is the best place to start? Uh, well, I think you've touched on some, it's a multi-layered thing, obviously. Um, I think like I remember in school, I was taught how to do the interest calculation, what compound interest is, but it was nestled in something that seemed impractical. It seemed like I'm talking about Mr. Smith, who's going to invest some money somewhere and they're going to get returns. I didn't see how I could actually benefit from understanding what compound interest is. So again, I think it's the, maybe the style in which the information is being provided. It's sort of divorced from someone's real concerns. And more than likely, I think the first place is really in the home, sort of seeing how you know food is budgeted for, how resources are budgeted for. In a roundabout way, I think having responsibility um, in the home also of saying that, look, these are the things you have to take care of. This is the money that we're giving you to buy this and that. And how do you balance that out? I think those are habits that you build up that then give you an interest in, oh, if I behave in style A, I have some money saved over. If I behave in style B, I end up borrowing from other people. When I borrow from some people, what are our relationships <laughs> like after I don't repay? Um, I think it, it sort of um, starts building on itself. And the earlier you start in the home, I think that's best. In school, really, more or less, I think um, sometimes we lean on it as a place to give us all our information. But it's really just there to kindle some sort of excitement. And I think what you're saying you're doing, I think, with uh, Global Shapers is really the paragon of how, you know, social things change. You learn from your peers. If someone knows something and you say, well, this is how you should be using your savings account <laughs> and this is how you should be using your current account. I mean, that's information that's there, but there's no pool that takes a lot of people to sort of Google it and figure it out. Because before I get to Googling it and trying to figure that out, I have to have that interest. I have to have some form of understanding. And usually, um, I, th I think in the information age, having someone you trust is way more important than, you know, going to some website. Because you can go to YouTube and you can learn all manner of things, but you can also learn all manner of wrong things, things that don't make sense to you. So I would say it's in the home. It's in, you know, people like you and me, for instance, putting out uh, things like this in which you talk about, all right, this is what you should be thinking about. This is who you should be talking to. And also culturally, I think, um, I, you know, I'll speak for myself. I didn't know how much my parents earned. I didn't know what the financial issues were. They seemed to be very personal things, and it was almost a taboo to talk about them. It was almost like talking about death. How do you talk about the money that someone's earning? How do you bring that up? And that attitude, I think, still persists. I see the same behaviors in myself now and I've had to sort of change that especially doing my younger siblings being able to talk to them about this is what I'm planning for this is the insurance package I've bought for us and this is why I selected it and trying to be open about it it's very uncomfortable at first because you know they'll see me as hey we thought you had a lot of money but <laughs> <laughs> you're suffering like this you're real rationing things uh, but you know like most things you fear um, it's it's an illogical fear. Once you start to engage, it starts to break down. I think you're right. The whole concept of, you know, this monster hanging over the conversation, you know, the fear of the monster is actually much greater than the response you get from your peers. And it's um, something we, 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 we talk about a lot in my particular friend group, mm. that... There is this sort of reverence around money, you know. The ideal situation is to understand that money is a tool mm. and how best can you use that tool? How much of it do you have? As you said, do you have a goal, you know? 
in the age of Instagram and what have you, you know, everyone wants, you know, a life that includes trips to Maui and a private jet. And it's funny, no one talks about the tax repercussions <laughs> of buying a jet <laughs> on Instagram, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so we need to, to encourage people. One, be comfortable with knowing that they don't know because when you accept that you don't know something, mm. you open up the possibilities for you to get that information. Mm. And two, to realize that the financial journey, it's a, it's a personal one, but it's one we all take. So I think before we even start to preach literacy, I think we have to preach a certain sense of comfort or self, self-awareness self about finance. But again, as you said, in the home, it's, it's, it's a really key thing in that... Uh, what my, my, my baby brother is the last born. Mm. He's the one in the family who never got sent to the shops. Uh. And he grew up not knowing how much stuff costs. Like he would come back with change and not know <laughs> if, if he was cheated or anything. And then we, we, I saw that and I had to correct that. So people have to also kind of be willing to, I guess, button or have that uncomfortable interaction. Yeah. And then it gets easier from there. Yeah. And I think that's one of the key things that people need to familiarize themselves with is just the way finance is built into our lives. It's not going anywhere. So as inextricable as finance is from our lives, how could we set milestones to encourage people? Because let's say you and I, we have our friends who we're honest with and we can have those discussions with. And eventually in our generations becoming more common for people who are in serious relationships to discuss money. Mm. And you don't have the whole thing of, you know, two generations above us where someone passes away and no one knows how much there is in the count, mm. where the land titles are, all that stuff, etc. How do we... Is it just a case of each one teach one? Well, practically, I think it's a case of each one teach one. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm quite humbled, actually, because in um, when I was in the village recently, I started seeing that in the VSLAs, the village savings uh, groups, there was um, a sort of call to people who work in the banks to come and talk to them about how financial services works. That meant that, you know, a group of like 30 people have said, we don't understand this thing. Let's get someone to come and talk to us and we understand those things. I don't think there's any friend group I'm in where guys would say, no, we don't understand money. Let's call this guy. And the guy. We're, we're all sort of, I'm talking about maybe in the city and this yes. ethos around corporate culture. Because honestly, I think when we talk about financial literacy, we often think of the person who doesn't have a formal account or the person who doesn't, um, you know, uh, engage with financial services the way we might. And I tend to go, okay, yeah, they don't understand the formalities of what we're doing, but they might have more of an understanding of where that money goes. Um, um, as a side note, one of um, one of my old workmates, when we were doing insurance, an insurance product in FSD. We tried to look for the word insurance in Luganda. We, we couldn't find it. Yeah. And that's just because our framework for thinking of insurance is you pay someone to take the risk. But every time we talk to people, they said, no, you can't do that. We share the risk. All of us share that risk. And then, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the day, if the risk doesn't happen, you get the money back. So that made a lot of sense to me because if you've got a little bit of money, you don't have money to throw somewhere <laughs> and go, in case yeah. something <laughs> happens and we paid for that in case and me to have peace of mind. So even the marketing is usually for peace of mind. That doesn't give someone peace of mind that they give money away yeah. and then stuff 
fell apart. So I think that sometimes we're um, speaking to people who are in a circumstance to which, from our viewpoint, we say, you're being irrational. But to them, they're also saying, but you're also being irrational. I don't understand why you're doing it that way. So I think um, if we're to talk about it in those two groups, if we're to crudely say informal versus formal, in the informal sector, I see more of a, a hunger to try and understand how services operate. And I think that's where, you know, being able to put things in a language people understand. For Jumo, for instance, we've, we're experimenting now with not saying the interest rate is this. Instead of just saying this is how much you'll pay on top. Just that's what someone wants to know. If you start saying the daily rate is this, the annual rate is this, <laughs> this it's some, you're making someone do a lot of math that is unnecessary for them to know. I'm just paying 10000 on top of this 50000 loan that I've taken out. That's all I need to know. I think the more entrenched one is, um, you know, in the city, in the corporate culture, from whom we are, you know, sort of seen by the people who might not understand as the guys who know, and then they'll come and ask us information, and then we spread our misinformation down the line. <laughs> uh, I, I think that, like, you know what we're talking about, um, you know, when we're off the mic, about how many guys can you tell that, hey, look, I'm spending more than I can actually manage. I'm borrowing cash. Like, you, it's so, it's a shot to your ego. And I recently saw on Twitter that a lot of people were talking about how is how can I tell people this is what I earn because the amount of money I earn is somehow pegged to my value as a person, as a person yeah. in the marketplace, and that is a very it's a very poignant point because I also feel that as well like I go how can this person know my salary they will weigh me yeah, by yeah. how much. But there are some people who I don't mind knowing that because I know them more broadly and I know them well enough that uh, that's just a part of who I am. So I think having more and more conversations one-to-one is the only way to start breaking those cultural bonds because, I mean, we are the children of our parents and our parents are the children of a generation in which, you know, assets were something that you held very close to your chest. You never knew who was trying to get it, who was trying to take from you. And even in your own family, you know, the extended family, you don't know who's looking at you with an eye to take that away from you. And I don't think that threat has completely gone away, not to, I don't want to be naive. (laughs) Uh, But I think for us uh, now, there's a sense in which we have to build together. We have atomized in that, you know, you're living your life, you have to manage your finances alone, you have to do all these things alone. Yet there's someone who's to the side of you who probably has a lesson that you could learn from. So I just think being humble enough to ask is uh, is a big thing. I don't know what the solution is in terms of asking. Uh, maybe it's having more websites. Maybe it's having more local content that talks about stories that are situated in Uganda, situated in Kampala around this is, you know, sort of how I made it. And making sure those stories are not those motivational stories. Of, <laughs> I, started. I started with one egg and now here I am owning all the hens in yeah. Masaka. <laughs> Um, yeah, you've, you've, you've brought out some really brilliant points. You know, I thought as I prepared for this, that it would be sort of an academic, you know, conversation where we walk through the basics of budgeting and now, you know, basics of personal finance, mm-hmm. right? You learn how to budget and then you start saving. And then when you're saving, you start putting money aside for, you know, other needs like insurance and investment and you grow, you know, your wealth that way. But you pointed out that, Depending on the sphere that you're that you're sitting in and the lens you're looking at, things may not be as the traditional narrative looks at it. You know, mm. someone would say, "Oh, I have a visa card in my pocket. How can you say I'm financially literate?" 
right? <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> how, how dare you? Have cheap and pin, you know, hey. tap to pay, etc., etc. <laughs> yes. But this is someone who's living beyond their means, mm. you know? Mm. And yet someone in the village may have, by comparison, uh, meager revenue stream, mm. right? But it's well managed. They understand how much... Actually, a farmer in the village without a bank account literally does projections mm. all the time. He's like, I've planted this two acres of maize. I spent this much. I'm hoping to get this much out of it. So he's actually doing informal finance, but oftentimes quality finance all the time. And as you said, they have a village, you know, savings group that is part of, and they're seeking education from professionals, and they're holding each other accountable. They're sharing risks. Mm. They're doing a lot of what could be termed sophisticated financial mm, practices yeah, yeah. in a very informal way. And I think that could be borrowed, you know, from and brought to the urban areas, especially the youth in the sense that we are pushed out into the world with this expectation of, you know, you've got a degree, mm. you're a finished product now, you know. Now <laughs> you're not you can so, do it all. Exactly. You're not yeah. supposed to ask for help. You're, there's a common question in Kampala, of uh, where do you work? You know, that's people are trying to size you up of, okay, you're a doctor, but are you a doctor at IHK and Mulago? Do you get paid this much? And yet, even within your own yeah. work environment, I know so many people who don't know how much the person sitting on the desk across from them earns. Mm. You know, and thus they can't even negotiate properly because there's all this yeah. stigma involved around money. And truth be told, the issue of living within one's means. I think that picks apart the various parts of financial literacy, right? Because mm. to live within your means, you must have a budget. You must know what your means are. And you must know how much you're earning. <laughs> yeah. right? You must have some self-discipline to go along with it. Then you should hopefully start saving, whether you're saving to go on vacation. I tell people, start saving. Okay, if you're saving to buy the new iPhone, you just save. <laughs> just the practices. Be- build the habit yeah. of saving, you know? And once you're saving then maybe you can look into the other financial services available to you. But it should be a lot easier for a friend group, for someone to say, guys, I am not coming for snap-off. I don't have money. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> it should be easier. It, but It should be. <laughs> but somehow, you know, in the tangos of, call it capitalism or social media, we've equated self-worth to finances. Mm. And ironically, we haven't decided to invest in improving that perception, you know, yeah. in, in a literal way. There's a lot of fake it till you make it or just smile through the pain, uh. you know. Uh, possibly, maybe if there are any upper management people listening right now at these corporations that are hiring, doing such a good job, we thank you for hiring mm-hmm. all these young people. Maybe that's something that, you know, could be seen as a perk of working at a certain company, that they offer educations and trainings in the field of finance, you know, mm-hmm. because, okay, now you've got health insurance, cool, but you're still going to blow the entirety of your paycheck, right? <laughs> maybe the company, if it said, hey, it's free to attend, you're paying guys to come through and teach, this would be an area where you're sort of insulated from the social world, you know, in a professional space. Mm. And that maybe pe- that would be a way to reach people so that yeah. they could learn that way. Yeah, I mean, um, 100%. I think uh, I am a big fan of uh, the NBA. And I was just looking at um, 
some weeks back the number of uh, NBA players that go broke a few oh. years after, oh, yeah. you know, joining the league. Yeah. Uh, I think well, one of the examples they had was um, a guy called Antoine Walker who made $118 million and blew all of it. Now, by any standard, if you're making $118 million, like that's the amount of money you've had. Everyone who go that person doesn't have a money problem. <laughs> but having, I think there's a slight point that people forget that having money doesn't mean that you know, you're responsible enough to know what to do with it or how it came to you. There were so many people who are his lawyers, his publicists, all of them involved in how that money came to him. And a lot of them got, you know, a much greater return off of that money than he did. And, you know, he's part of this movement now where, you know, there's an NBA Players Association that's looking at how to teach them specific skills for their group. So the financial literacy an NBA player is getting is not the kind of literacy I'm getting. They're saying, yeah. look, you've gone from not having any money at all to suddenly you're a multimillionaire. What do you do when people start knocking at your door? How do you save it? How should you pay for taxes? So I think the workplace um, is one place in which you can sort of foster a discussion around, okay, these guys are more or less in the same field. They are struggling probably with uh, similar issues, but they're still a bit of a competitive edge. We're still trying to put up show. So I guess um, brighter minds than mine can figure out how it can be done. Um, one of the things I'm happy about at Jumo, for instance, is um, our HR people, right, are also trained to, you know, sort of talk you through uh, certain things that you might be thinking about, like say you want to uh, put some money away into a provident fund, you can speak to the HR person directly. And it's more proactive in terms of, you know, they'll say, have you thought about this, that, and the other? Do you want to do this? And certain thoughts don't hit you until you're a certain age. Now I'm 35. When I was 25, to tell me about put money away for when you're old, 60 just looks so far away. <laughs> like, why, why would I do that? And yet I get a much greater return on going out and having a good time with my friends. So I think also recognizing that me at 35, I have something to tell someone when they're 25, but I have to know what a 25-year-old is thinking. I can't speak to the 25-year-old like he's 35. Yes. Because I'll just sound old. Just like, <laughs> what do you mean? It's the same with someone who's 50 is trying to tell me something. And I'll go, what do you mean? <laughs> it's not the way I see the world. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I totally take your point around, um, especially if you're in senior management, investing into the, the kind of um, thinking that your um, staff is going to have. It makes them a more rounded, well-rounded uh, individual because like I, I like to think of it as you're sparking a flame, and once someone is intrigued, once someone is curious, you don't have to give them a lot of info. You don't have to sit and teach someone because then th that, that insatiable fire needs to be fed. You'll start doing the Googling yourself. You'll start... I mean, anyone who wants to learn almost anything, you can learn. You just need internet access. The question is, what are you looking for? If you're looking to be entertained, you'll find it. If you're looking to have a good time, you'll find it. If you're looking to learn, I think the... The, the understanding of how much we are actually all struggling. Like I, I there's um the last story at all. There's um uh, a, a survey that was taken in Kenya because I'm also managing our affairs in Kenya, and they were looking at the at level of financial literacy, and it was poised around certain questions depending on your profession. So if you're a manager, for instance, they'll say, "What well, do you understand? What uh, ten percent APR financing means?" They, People in working banks didn't even know. They require their customers <laughs> they require they're working with and to, they really didn't know. And it was quite shocking because it was a lot of people in financial institutions who didn't know 
exactly what they were selling um, is. And to to the point of the kind of modern culture we're in, you don't have to know, you have to know less and less about everything because you depend on other people's knowledge to get you through the day. Um, and that's the scary point where you think you know stuff about <laughs> money, you think you understand because someone else has figured it out for you and has given it to you, it's in your paycheck, the taxes have been taken, like all of that stuff has been worked out for you. Yes. If you were to try and do it yourself, you might find there's a blocker there. And I think what we're trying to encourage people is to push through that that blockage. So yeah, keep going because then much more information will come out to you. Yeah. I like um I like how you said sparking that interest. In my head I thought to myself, maybe you know, and you said it earlier, you've said it a couple of times that we need more local content. Maybe we need more stories about people who are not necessarily Jeff Bezos mm. <laughs> level, but they're living comfortable lives, mm. you know, as they say, the, the comfortably well off. He doesn't have cold sweats waking up in the middle of the night, realizing that school fees is due next week or something and show that this having a comfortable life can be achieved by having good personal finance mm. such that people would now be more interested in, I have this 100,000. There's a service that is willing to invest for me. It's 100,000 in a really good investment opportunity at 12%. That is a safe bet. I will get my 12%. At the very least, I won't lose my 100,000. As opposed to if I get, if I sell my plot of land and I get these 20 million shillings and I jump into this, you know, I don't know what the trending thing is downtown right now, right? But there's always some trend. There's always something going right? on. Yeah. And there's always some trend. And if I put in my 20 million, they'll pay me back 100 million in eight weeks. Get into Forex. Uh, and exactly, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that people can realize that wealth can be built over time, like real wealth. And maybe that will move us away from the deal culture and the deal economy and the worshipping of the struggle, you know, there's this whole thing of, yeah, man, we're struggling, but regardless, yeah. we move. No, yeah. this, the word struggle is not something to be... Regardless, you know? we move. What do you mean? <laughs> exactly. There's a lot to regard there, you know? So the struggle and this whole idea that there's that one big bet you can make as opposed to a lot of frugal, well-calculated well-thought-out, small steps you can make to get you there in the long run. As I said, someone mm-hmm. at 20, 25, the greatest, you know, <laughs> return on investment for him may be a, a really good weekend. But as you begin to get a, a more exposed to what life is yeah. and begin to think more long-term, yeah. you then begin to change what you want for yourself. Mm. And I think we need to show people that this avenue that is currently considered less attractive of being informed and making the right decisions and negotiating for yourself and doing all these things that come from being financially literate and responsible for your personal finance, that it pays off. Yeah. Because we have a lot of role models, and I, use the, and I don't know if people can hear the air quotes when I say role <laughs> models, who will tell you, I was in the struggle for five years and then I hit this one deal and I exported 80 tons, <laughs> 80 containers of fish to China. And now... Now I'm in it. Now I'm in it. Now, you know, I own a state as opposed to 
yeah, I got a job. I had a savings account. I began investing. My interest compounded. I got a mortgage, which I paid off early. I owe nobody anything. All the debt I have is good debt. Mm. You know, with my Ferrari stuck in a pothole in Kamocha. I'm driving a decent car, but I'm, I'm happy. It's not the, it's not the <laughs> sexy story. It's Ex- the calm, rational, like, it took years. I'm good. In fact, as you're saying it, I can see people rolling their eyes. Like, oh, here we go. Because it's it's it's... The, the thing that you are um, sort of um, speaking about in terms of um, the, the local content, I, I really think that that's key. Also, because right now the local content is skewed more to one side. There's already a lot of local content, but the content is like what you might see of someone's life on Snapchat. It's what you might see someone where we, those platforms are designed to give you something that is you know, quite showy, something that is removed. It's how you separate yourself from the crowd. So it's, it's. I struggle with it. I mean, this is my own personal bias. I struggle in thinking that you can utilize a lot of social media's strength to show someone that you're just like me. Because usually the person who's trying to say, I'm just like you, is someone you don't think is like you. <laughs> it's usually a celebrity going, I'm just like, like you, you guys. Right? I wear <laughs> jeans, I do this. But a normal average person is trying to show, I'm not like you guys, by <laughs> the way. I'm somewhere. This end. So it's a, it's, a, it's a unique balance that uh, I don't know how it can be crafted. But all I know is the people who are storytellers, the people who know how to craft narratives that you know break down those defenses and people are able to engage. That's one thing that I think is, um, I noticed particularly in the States that it's a reinforcing culture that you start to see that, yeah, there's the show billions, but then there'll be personal finance that's being taught also at your community college. There will be like stories about families that are trying to make ends meet. There's not someone being extravagant. Yes. And the average American I would find would be like, yeah, I can do, I can make it. And I'm responsible for having to make it. And it starts to seep into the culture. And I think when something is in the culture, that's what that spark is meant to be. Um, <clears throat> one of the, the books I really enjoyed was Ascent of Money okay. and looking at the Jewish community and why, you know, for the longest time they were the ones dominating banking. It's because they couldn't do anything else. So <laughs> you focus on, I can only become a middleman. Yeah. And so a young Jewish person would have to learn that, look, you're not going to be in the farm, you're not going to be, there's only so many professions you can do. And so the family has to talk to you about, this is how we make money. This is how we exchange finances. So at, by the time you're 20, a 20-year-old Jewish person in Germany versus a, Germ, uh, a Germanic person, the gap in, in understanding was so different. And one of the things I've always tried to say, well, if we remove the cultural, I don't know, uh, sensitivities around it, there's one community here we never like fully look at, and that's the Indian community. We never look and say, well, why is it they're contributing like 60% to GDP. Why is it that, you know, family-owned businesses are very tight? It's a very close-knit community. Um, and I think there's some onus on us to try and say, can you guys tell us something about what you're doing? Um, they're in the minority in the nation. Yes. So it's easy to discard or blame completely for all the problems that we're seeing. Yeah. I mean, we've seen the history <laughs> of that. But I think it's more important to learn um, from groups that are already starting to make some headway. Yeah. You already start to see that, well, that community, they're starting to, they're building up small businesses quietly. It's not something that's extravagant. And over time, there's a sense of stability that is established. So I, 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 maybe I'll ask you do, you, do you think we can tap into? No, definitely. Um, 
I have quite a, a few friends who are from that community mm. and one or two of them will actually be honest and they'll tell you we the the lives that you people want to emulate are good and everything but you're not looking behind the veil to see what it took to get there mm. a lot of this is generational wealth yeah yeah and that's also another conversation i think that's sometimes sits at the apex of financial literacy and people don't discuss it when you see people like zuckerberg or what's his name gates mm. who dropped out they dropped out of harvard <laughs> I don't know if people understand how much Harvard tuition costs, right? <laughs> in a certain place at first. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, but it's not a sexy idea to tell someone, work hard so your child mm. can be Zuckerberg. Mm. You, mm. They want to be Zuckerberg mm. today. They want to be Bezos, you know? Mm. Which is, statistically, it's just not going to happen, <laughs> right? Facebook's already been built. Yeah. <laughs> right? So the issue is, how do we emulate the full journey mm, mm. not just the pictures and the trips and the videos you see on the blogs how do we get i'd love for influencers with all their followers to start talking about guys this is what i'm doing for my finances mm. honestly i was able to pay for this trip because a few years ago i bought government bonds or invest in securities mm, and they've mm. been paying me dividends which i've used to go on this vacation to bali you know mm. that's starting to happen uh with influencers and bloggers in the UK and in New York because their market is saturated with people <laughs> just doing good life. So to differentiate themselves, people are now explaining how it works. The real thing. Uh, there's a guy called, I think his name is Graham Stephan mm. on YouTube. Mm. And he talks, you know, he's, he's pretty honest about his finances. And that's someone someone could look up to. But we need that kind of local content here to show that, okay, this family, even these people, if they could come up and speak, that yes, so-and-so, because my dad and my mom were responsible with their finances. They gave us both the luxury of a soft landing should we fail and an easy takeoff because, you know, mm. the startup capital is there. You know, people like to talk about how I have this great idea and my rich uncle won't give me money. <laughs> Right? Yeah. Okay. It sucks. <laughs> but work hard so that your children are not looking for a rich uncle. That's you know? Because this level, real wealth is built over generations. You, you can't yeah. snap your fingers into it. Yeah. You know, find out, are you paying too much for some of the services? Are you renting a four-bedroom house and live alone? Mm. Are mm. you, where can you save money so that your money can start working for you? Mm. You know, so that you can invest, live within your means. All these sorts of things are what so many generations of people have done in the Indian community, in the Chinese community, in the Jewish community, in though, you know, it's an unpopular thing, but even in the rich Boer community mm. in South Africa. However, they got their assets might be subject to, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, a lot yes. of contention, but yeah. they did not uh, neglect to grow and manage them intentionally you know you don't you don't by mistake wind up with shares in tesla <laughs> you know you don't just like oh i stumbled into this wow. right yeah. yeah so you have to people need to be willing to be intentional about that journey and also i think realistic you know people i think i would ask everyone listening to ask themselves really what does a good life mean to me when you live you take Kanye West out of this. 
<laughs> what does a good life mean to me and how do I get there? Yeah. And I think that would be the question that someone would ask themselves that be like, oh, okay, I need to do personal finance. What's in personal finance? And start to educate themselves. The idea of looking at your neighbor, right, and ask him, honestly, my guy, how is it that mm-hmm. in the past three years you've made these moves? Ugandans are very sociable people. And they'll tell you, actually. They will tell you. You can, <laughs> yeah. you can be lost and ask for directions and end up making a friend. Mm. You end up having a full conversation. Yeah. But you live with someone <laughs> and not have this particular conversation. Mm. So we need to have more open conversations about finances yeah. and more realistic perceptions of what is achievable. You know, people, it's, we did a survey because we are launching a product in a, in a, in a few weeks. Mm. And uh, we did a survey and asked people, what do you think is a good return on investment? And I love Subway software. So it does a chart. And, you know, the distribution was fairly normal. And there were outliers. And some of them, I actually had to scroll. They're even off screen. <laughs> and, this, and what killed it was not one, but two people both said 200% per annum on investment. And I just told myself, these guys are money launderers. <laughs> That's not anything that makes sense. Because without the realism, you know, without, yeah. it's without the local content of someone born in your country, right, did these things, which you also have access to and is now enjoying their life, we will keep... <laughs> you look to places that have no relation to you. They seem to be close to where you are, yeah. but the structures are completely different. The generational build-up is completely different. I like what you said because, uh, I mean, <clears throat> if you think about it now, the burden that we sort of carry is that we get to see the results of things that were done years and years ago in people who are our age. And then you go, well, that's not fair. Uh, Well, you know, life is not not very fair, (laughs) but sometimes it means that the burden that you have, like one of the things I talked to my dad about is his burden was he had to get us out of the village. That was, he just knew I have to study. I need to give you guys education. That was the big thing for him. I'm going to give you guys education. Now, when he looks to me now, he's saying that I need you to build something that's going to be sustainable so that your children are not starting from where I started from. Like, I'm just keep moving the ball farther and farther ahead. Just keep moving. And I think the patience to also understand that um, I wanted to be, I wanted to be as wealthy as he is at 20. 20. And yet he was in his late 40s. Yeah. Like, he goes, oh, well, there was, there's a time, there's a time for you to get there. And depending on how you make that money, you know, the whole deal culture. If it comes really quick, it can go really quick. Um, and there are also the other people who have faced financial struggles, who've made losses, but the skills that allowed them to build up, you know, uh, that those kinds of assets don't leave them. True. And they can pass on those skills to someone else so that, you know, wherever you go, you can make something of yourself. So um, I think encouraging that narrative is the biggest thing. Um, I know the conversation was meant to be like, what are the particulars of literacy? But I think the 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 my biggest concern now is just... It's your viewpoint. No matter how many tools someone gives you, you'll end up building what's in your mind. And all the tools are already available. So the results of what we're seeing are that I think there's a misunderstanding of what wealth is, a misunderstanding of how to get there. And so we misuse the tools. So I think having a real conversation around what do you mean that you want to get wealth? It's the thing Dave Chappelle talked about sometime when his dad said, where do you want to be a comedian? 
said, I've counted the price. I, I, need, I know that even if I'm the 1,000th <laughs> best stand-up comedian and I'm getting paid for it, that's what I want out of life and I'm making this amount of money, I'm happy. And I don't think I've ever articulated, I hadn't ever articulated that this is the amount of money I want to get. Because even just the art of writing it down, articulating what you want, the next question that comes is, how am I going to get there? Yes. And when you get that how, you're in a much farther place than someone who has a bank account but has never asked, what am I going to do? You, your whole <laughs> goal is just making more money. All you want is a promotion. Yeah. And you're trying to fill a hole rather than understanding, how can I use what I already have? So... Um, yeah, no, I think I think you've captured it brilliantly. So I won't <laughs> I won't dilute it uh, any further. If you're out there listening, ask yourself what are you trying to achieve in your finances? How are you going to get there? And proceed to educate yourself. You know, yep. talk to your friends, talk to your seniors at work. The internet is your is. I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably have access to the internet. <laughs> Go and figure out, you know, how to budget, how to create a plan, save, invest. As always, uh, it's a pleasure to have you guys listening. And we just have a few more words from uh, Joel before we sign off. Joel, is there anything in particular you want to shout out? Any, any, anything from, from work you're doing to anything notable that you want to get more attention to any charity? Anything? Um, yeah, well, I just want to say thanks for having me on. Um, I think one of the things I'm most proud of working at Jumo is um, we're trying more and more to incorporate responsible finance and responsible lending. It's been a very tough year with the, <laughs> with the coronavirus and the lockdown. We had to take the decision to stop giving out loans, even though demand was really high, just because it's easy to give the money out, but getting it back it's it's um, a bit irresponsible but we're very excited with 2021 coming on board that um you know the new digital protection bill that's out the national payment systems bill that's out i really think that we are on the cusp of there being more and more opportunities and more companies like jumo are going to come out and have services that are going to be offered but my only plea is that you know opportunity uh, only means something if you know how to make use of it. And I think what we've been talking about here is like just kindling that flame within you. I wouldn't want to say that I have the content that will tell you how to save budget and all the rest. That stuff is all available. You can just, at the click of a button, you can get it. It's just asking yourself, doing that personal inventory of what is it that I really want? Where am I trying to get to? The result of those questions will you know, lead you to a path where you'll get the tools and the things that you need for yourself. So... That's all I can wish for everyone who's listening. Thank you. Whoever is out there and you have any interesting ideas you'd love to have discussed or recommend anybody, please reach out to us on our social media. This is the Global Shapers Kampala Hub signing off. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Shaking Tables. You can find out more about the Kampala Hub and the Global Shapers community as a whole via our website, gscampalahub.org or connect with us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram using at gscampalahub. We look forward to hearing from you and can't wait to share upcoming episodes. Remember, you can subscribe to the podcast at your preferred podcast listening platform.